A few weeks ago, I had asked Amber if she would come up and update us on uh, things that are going on in Run Global. She took a trip to uh, Nepal, and um, when she got back, I said, hey, would you mind spending some time on a Sunday morning just telling us what's going on there? And for somebody you don't know, Run Global um, is, is, a, is a ministry there uh, in Nepal and in India, is that right? Uh, and, um, and we support them monthly, and uh, Mike and Sue Cater, who have started that ministry, have, have spoken here before. Uh, but I'm going to let Amber come up, and she's going to spend some time just uh, telling you some of the things that are going on, okay? All right, so let's give her a hand. Come on. Woo-hoo. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Amber. Okay, so I'm going to first try to paint a picture of what my time was there, kind of what it looks like, what ministry day-to-day is, um, and then spend a little bit of time talking about the things that I kind of learned from that experience, things I'm trying to apply here, and that hopefully y'all can apply as well. And then I'll have a little bit of time for questions, so be thinking. Also, live streamers, I have you right here, so if you have questions, feel free to send them on the chat. So um, I was in Nepal for a total of 10 days, gone for about two weeks with the travel time. And um, going into it, I didn't really know... um, I didn't really know what I was going to be doing. Um, Mike initially was just, I had booked flights for a few weeks out, and he was like, actually, can you come next week? And so um, so I did, and the Lord provided. I found flights that were very similarly priced. It was That was kind of wild in and of itself. Um, but I went not really knowing fully what my piece of that would be. And um, they ended up, there was a three-day Um, CPM church planning movement training that we did. So we have 24 teams in India and um, northern in northern India and Nepal. And um, I believe 11 or 12 of them came and all came to Nepal Gunj, which is the region that I was staying in. And um, for lack of a better term, it was a conference, like a training conference, where we kind of um, went over all of the different strategies for planting and building churches, things that work over there, the idea of multiplication of churches versus building mega churches, all of those kind of things. Um, So it was a refresher for some. It was um, new information for some of our newer team members. And so that time um, was spent, again, equipping, but also I was just putting faces to names of, of the people who are in my spreadsheets that I go over each month. And so that was really cool to just... Um, be amongst the people there um, to be able to kind of just speak with them. Um, And so that was really encouraging. And then um, they all kind of went back to their respective teams. And I spent the rest of the time living in our Nepal Gunj team house. So essentially, we have all of these teams in different regions, and they'll have a home base um, where they'll basically do their ministry out of that location. So Um, It was very reminiscent for me of the Acts 1 church. So we would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. We would do prayer, worship, devotion. There would be some kind of teaching. And then um, we'd spend, and some of that teaching was um, within the team. And some of it was from pastors, even from the United States. They'll do Zoom calls that everybody kind of comes and gathers around um, the laptop and is listening to the teaching from people over here. And then we would go out for the rest of the day and either evangelize or go and talk 
um, or go and be a part of these people's T for T groups, um, their discipleship groups, essentially. And so I was able to be a part of all of those different things. And um, one of the things that was most interesting to me or encouraging to me was the intentionality of these teams. Um, So they spent, obviously, all of their waking hours are focused on the kingdom, right? And that's something that, in theory, we should be doing, but it's hard when it's like you have your job that maybe is not in ministry um, or we have other distractions within within the world, and that's just kind of how it is. Um, But it was so encouraging to see their focus on the kingdom their willingness to sacrifice. A lot of them will talk about how it's hard um, to be in ministry over there because their families, even though maybe they're even Christian families who agree with the mission, they're like, well, you can make more money doing something else or um, we need you for this family thing. And um, for them to really put that aside and focus on kingdom things is really encouraging. Um, They also um, are super action-focused. And so... um, all of, our, all of the discipleship groups, the, the whole idea is to equip the people within your teams to then go be able to make teams. So there's no one who's just, just um, observing. There's no one who's just showing up to church. Everyone is out doing stuff during the week um, and is out contending for the faith. And so that was super encouraging too. And in evangelism specifically, um, I think when I have shared the gospel, I tend to ask questions or try to figure out what people are, what people think, so I can ask further questions to kind of like get wheels turning, and I think that's super valuable. Um, But the people I went out evangelizing with um, were really contending for the faith. Like if somebody um, kind of was like, okay, that's cool, but I don't think the Jesus thing's for me, they'd be like, no, this is why it should be for you. This is why it's different from your religion. And so to see them really stand up for their faith and um, to really fight for their nation and to really like know this matters and it matters for you and you should make this decision now and not in a pressure kind of kind of way but just in a like really communicating the urgency um, of the gospel so um, that's kind of like the broad picture Um, some of the things that I feel like the Lord was really um, teaching me reminding me all those kind of things Um, really related to, one, the Holy Spirit sustaining, and two, um, the dangers of living in your comfort zone. There have only been two times in my life that I really felt like the Holy Spirit was, like, speaking to me, and that wasn't necessarily, like, hearing a word. It was, like, um, a thought coming to mind that was so counter to what I generally think that I'm like, oh, that must be the Lord. Um, And so this was a couple years ago that I really felt the Holy Spirit saying the comfort zone is the most dangerous place that we can live, the most dangerous place that we can exist. And I think the reason for that is um, when you're living in your comfort zone, a lot of things are within your own control. A lot of things are, um, you can do it yourself, and so you don't necessarily need to lean on the Lord for it. And so um, going to Nepal in a lot of ways was was more in my comfort zone than for a lot of people, but there were lots of pieces of it that were not comfortable from the language to the food to um, just like traffic and what things look like in Nepal is so different from here. Um, But I think it was also uncomfortable being asked to teach, being asked um, to speak and to to share what the Lord was teaching me and what I felt like he was trying um, to communicate to them. And so 
stepping out in that was outside of my comfort zone. And so just to see how the Lord works in those things when you're doing stuff that, um, that it, like, it can't be of you because, because you're just not capable of the things that the Lord's capable of. And um, so at one point I was um, teaching out of Matthew 7. So I'm going to read Matthew 7, 24 um, to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So I've always looked at that scripture as... Like, faith in the Lord is the firm foundation, right? Like, um, faith in God, kingdom things, like, that is the firm foundation in the world. Um, But I think um, the Lord was revealing to me, and this might not be new to y'all, it was new to me, um, was everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. And so it was the idea that faith in action is actually what that firm foundation is. Um, And I think that faith in action is also tied to your experience, right? And so we can know things, we can have ideas, um, but when the storms of life come, if all you have is knowledge and ideas, it's easy to be convinced of other things or to go other directions. Um, And so um, a faith that's built on experience, when you've stepped out and done things that you couldn't do without the Holy Spirit, and you see him show up because he's faithful, um, I think those are the things that really, one, build our faith, but we can stand firm on those things. And when the storms come, we can look back and be like, God was faithful here, and, um, or I have experienced this, this thing, it's part of my testimony, and I can cling to that, and know that it's true, and that is a firmer foundation than just the ideas and thoughts. Um, so I think those are my broad thoughts. I will open up to if anybody has questions now, because I don't know what y'all want to hear about. I don't know which things interest you, so if anyone has questions. So the question was regarding persecution of the church in Nepal and how the government um, has resisted a lot of those things in the past. And that is very prevalent still, um, and in a lot of ways is getting firmer. Like there's more um, specific things about evangelizing specifically, or not evangelizing, but trying to convince someone to change their faith. And and so, yes, that is still absolutely a thing. Many of... um, while all of our team members are still boldly going out and doing it. And in my experience, people are still willing to hear. Um, there was, even while we were there, um, one of the old, some, an old team member who was no longer a part of RUN was threatening to send the police to our CPM training um, because they knew that Mike was in town and they were mad at Mike because of how things ended with, within that relationship. And so there were threats even while we were there, like, we're sending the police if we're going to get you put in jail. And um, so even me knowing my privilege of, like, well, the worst they can do to me is deport me, but they can, they can do a lot worse to the people who are there. Um, and there were also, even a couple months ago, there was someone um, who became a new believer, and people came and burnt down their house 
because they had made that decision. And so it very much, it's very different from here where it's like, okay, maybe someone will yell at you, maybe someone will be mean to you or choose not to like you. But there would be ramifications if someone would come burn down your house. There it's kind of like, well, you made the decision that you made. Good luck. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but, but yes. More questions? Yeah, so the question is why India is strategic, and that is because there are so many um, different people groups there, and also it's such an unreached region. So the whole point of run, reach the unreached now, um, is the whole point is to, um, to reach people who are not already hearing of the gospel. There's plenty of people here who need to know the gospel, but we have ch- churches, we have a relatively high Christian population, and that's not the case in India. Um, that's not the case in most of Southeast Asia. And so, one, it's the unreached people groups. Um, two, um, the churches multiply really well there, um, just because there's caste things involved. There's lots of different factors. Um, but India is also fairly central to get to other um, unreached regions as well. So, Any more questions? Yes? Okay, so the question was the one thing that I felt like God wanted me to bring back. And I really think it is, okay, I don't want to use the comfort zone thing because I already talked about that. So I think the comfort zone thing is what he's working on me on, and I think in general is really important. Um, Another thing that I feel like the Lord was revealing is just the importance of keeping the kingdom first. Um, And I think that is hard to do because we have an enemy that doesn't want us to do that, right? And so... um, I, at one point, was brought back to Exodus, and the the first couple of commandments are all about keeping God first and keeping other idols out of that spot. And so I think we have a lot of things that we can put above God without even realizing it, specifically in the States. And so I'm thinking about that a lot in my world of, like, what are those things that either need to be put back in their spot or completely removed um, in order to keep God where he belongs and where he deserves to be and to keep the kingdom as the primary focus. So I'll hand that to you as well. Other questions, thoughts? Live streamers, you're quiet. (laughs) Yes. He said thank you for for modeling how to step out of your comfort zone and encouraging y'all to do it. So I'm excited to hear testimonies from y'all of what it looks like moving forward. And plenty of you are probably already doing this. So encourage each other with that. Share it with each other. Share what the Lord's doing um, because it's really powerful. Good. Anyone else? Okay. Thank you, Amber. That was wonderful. That was great to hear. Very encouraging. Encouraging and challenging at the same time. Very good. Uh, Hey, let's go ahead and pray here. Lord, we thank you so much uh, just for what you're doing all over the world. Um, People that are stepping out of their comfort zone uh, 
here stateside and then in other countries uh, in the name of Christ, uh, in the name of advancing the gospel of Jesus. Um, and so, Lord, we um, pray that you'd help us to, to be effective where we are. Um, and so we pray uh, for Amber as well as she continues to work with Run Global there. We pray for that ministry that um, you keep multiplying those uh, church planting movements and those little churches there uh, throughout that region. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so today we're hitting, in, hitting on this third message uh, on our series, Made New. And uh, if you weren't here the first couple weeks, uh, the first message in this series, we talked about how our faith in Jesus Christ transforms us into the people God wants us to be, makes us new. And we focused in on 2 Corinthians 5.17 and how God makes us a new creations in Christ and we're forgiven in him and so on. And then last week we talked about and discovered that because of the grace of God that we've received in Christ by putting our faith in him, we can move past our past. And our sins and mistakes do not have to have the last word in our lives because of the grace of and the blood of Jesus. So today what we're going to do is we're just going to briefly kind of touch on the fact that when we're made new, God places us in a new family, uh, the family of God. And so I want to start off uh, just with that here in, uh, in John chapter 1, verse, starting with verse 9 through 13. I'll just read that for you. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Of course, uh, if you're not familiar with John 1, this is speaking of Jesus, okay? Um, The true light which comes, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he, and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so uh, those verses there speak of a lot of things, but the thing I want to focus in on is here in verse 12, where it says, if, if someone has received Christ as Savior and believed in his name, you're now a child of God. You're now in his family. Um, in fact, the Bible talks a lot about this. It uses the language of adoption uh, for that as well um, because we're not, we're not born naturally into uh, the family of God. We're, we're adopted because we're not born into this world knowing God uh, and having a relationship with him. It comes through the new birth that's mentioned here. It says, "...who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of men." but of God. You have to be born of God to be uh, a child of God, to be in the family of God. Um, In John chapter uh, 3, Jesus talks about, you you must be born again. You must be born again. That just means born from above. That means that you've put your faith in Christ and he's made you new, right? So so if you didn't know it, uh, like it or not, you're in this family, the church family, uh, and I guess you could use capital C, the church universal everywhere that uh, of true believers, you're in that family. 
And uh, it's a wonderful blessing. There are many blessings that come from being in the family of God. And so, uh, but, but just this first point here, once I'm made new in Christ, I'm adopted into God's family, the church. And that's just a fact, and it is a wonderful fact. Um, and uh, with that, uh, you know, God is your father. Now, he is your father, and he is the perfect father. He uh, provides for all of our needs. He's there for us always, and in many different ways. But um, uh, So I just want to establish that fact, and there's many other places we could go in the Scriptures to talk about the fact that when you put your faith in Jesus, uh, you're adopted into God's family. And the beautiful thing is, is nobody can undo this adoption, okay? It's finalized. Uh, once you're in the family, you, you're not out of the family, uh, it's, it's uh, because you can do nothing to be born again but believe, right? Um, and, and, and since the blood of Jesus, we learn, um, you know, uh, covers all of our sins, past, present, future. So that ought to make sense to you, that, uh, that you did nothing to get into the kingdom of God other than trust Christ. And so nothing you would do uh, would uh, cancel that adoption, Okay. So now, what I want to talk about, in, just in terms of like life in the family, it's it's interesting that Amber mentions the first century church because that's where we're going to camp out here, just for the remaining minutes that we have. And I want to look in Acts chapter two, a familiar passage to some of you, maybe. Um, but just think about this as uh, you know, Acts chapter one. There, the, the some people consider that the birth of the church, right? Uh, the Spirit is poured out on God's people. Uh, and, and, you know, strategically, God had people, He poured out His Spirit here uh, at, at the, the, the Feast of Pentecost. And so He had all these people gathering together, right, from all over the place, these different people groups, for this feast. And, and strategically, you know, He's like, this is the time. This is going to be the birth of the church because there's people from all these different areas that don't even speak each other's languages and so on or whatever, the little dialects. Um, and so he brings them together. He pours out his spirit, and, and the church is born. And then you, and then you see uh, these groupings of, of new believers in Christ gathering together. And, and so we get a glimpse into the life of the first century church, the church family. And so I just want to take uh, some of these few verses in a few minutes here to talk about it. So here's the Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that an amazing, uh, just a few verses there of what was going on? Um, I think back to, uh, you know, uh, let, me, let me find my way back to that. Uh, yeah, in, um, 
in verse 41. Uh, I didn't read that verse, but so at Pentecost, right, Peter preaches uh, a sermon, and on that one day, 3,000 people were saved. I mean, one day, right? Um, what a great problem to have, right? I mean, just wonderful. Just 3,000 people uh, came to know the Lord. And uh, in verse 41, so right, verse right before uh, the passage I read, it says, so those who received his word, those who got saved, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Imagine that baptism. Talk about logistics. I think, I, I've been to baptisms where, where there were a lot of people baptized before, like out in a river or something, and they just do it in groups, you know. Um, and uh, just just amazing. Um, so, um, you know, you, you need to know that, you know, what they're saying is these 3,000 people and whoever else were believers in Christ, uh, they are devoted, as it says, to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted. And the thing I want to see here is about the family of God here, that the members of God's family are devoted to God's word, to prayer, and to sharing life together. Uh, this would be kind of a, just a summary of, of what we read in that Acts 2, 42 to 47 passage, just that they are devoted to God's word, to prayer, and to sharing life together. Uh, it's important for us to see these things, the life of the first century church, um, and that these people were devoted to the Lord. I mean, you think about that word devotion. We don't use it a lot except for to talk about reading the Bible, having devotions. But, and that certainly does connect with the idea of being devoted, for sure. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are devoted to a lot of things. Some people are devoted to their golf game, you know. Uh, some people are devoted to this or that, but to being devoted to these things. This is what the family of God is. If we're true believers in Christ, we're going to be devoted to the Lord, to the Lord's word, right? It says there, the apostles' teaching, devoted to God's word. And being devoted to sound teaching, that's important, right? Not just any teaching, sound teaching, um, you know, if I start teaching out of anything other than the Bible here or something unbiblical, then you probably ought to have a serious conversation with me, uh, you know, because we want it to be sound doctrine. We want to make sure, and some people don't like that word doctrine, but it just means teaching. It's, just, it's a teaching, right? And we want to teach the right things, uh, the scriptural things, the godly things that we have been uh, given in God's word. And so, Devoted to the apostles' teaching. And that's why, right, we, we spend so much time uh, focusing in on, um, you know, not only here on Sunday mornings, but in our small groups doing Bible study and encouraging people to be in the Word themselves because it is so uh, critical that uh, we be a church family that's devoted to the apostles' teaching. And, and again, for, for us, when we say that, we're saying, hey, this is, this, is, this is God's Word, right? It doesn't just contain God's Word. It is God's Word, all of it, every bit of it, okay? And uh, it deserves uh, our full attention uh, and uh, respect and devotion, really, because it's the Word of God. And, so, and then you see also this word fellowship, right? It says they devoted the apostles' teaching into fellowship. Fellowship is an interesting word, so kind of uh, 
you need to be thinking about the idea, idea of being together, but not necessarily at a potluck, okay? Fellowship might occur at a potluck, okay? But they are not equal, okay? Uh, fellowship is just the, the concept of being together, that there were participants in a shared life. That's what this koinonia is. It's participants in a shared life, the shared life that we have in Christ. So our fellowship is spiritual, right? I was struck um, by something that uh, Tom Hauser, one of the pastors at Grace Point, shared at the men's retreat. He was saying he had gotten back from Honduras recently, and he had had some conversation, uh, well, awesome conversation with uh, the folks that were there. And he said, you know what? Everybody's talking about the Lord. I mean, not just at church, but they're always talking about the Lord, their walk with God, or what God is doing. And and I'm just thinking, you know what? Uh, sometimes, you know, we could go a whole day and not hear about the Lord uh, in our, coming out of our own mouths. And, um, you know, if we're going to have a shared life in Christ, we need to, you know, share the Lord with each other, right? That's an important part of our fellowship. And so, um, and that idea of sharing life together means that we're not spectators, in the church, right? Being part of the church family means we're not spectators, right? Church is not an event, okay? Uh, um, I, I believe if you're in a church where the church is an event, then that's not the right way to see church, okay? Uh, now, we're at an event, but church is happening here, okay? This is the church family meeting, okay? One of the church family meetings. But So we need to see that our life shared together is that we are to be participants in the life of the church. And this is what we encourage anybody, you know, there, there comes a place, you know, when you're, you're visiting a church and you're trying to check it out and you're trying to see, does it have sound doctrine? Uh, you know, is, is it the service style that I'm comfortable with and that I can engage with and so on? And then at some point, though, uh, you know, you should think about, well, how can I participate in the life of this church? How can I share in the fellowship? And there's different ways you could do that here, right, at our church. You can, you can be involved in one of the small groups, right, that we have. And if you don't know what those are, we have uh, up on the bulletin board back there a listing of those um, where you can contact the small group leaders. Um, and then, but also, and then there's just ministries, like there's the MOPS ministry, and then there's, that just started this year, and then there's... Um, you can you can serve in any one a number of ministries here in the church. You know, a m- number of them operate here on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, being an usher or serving in one of the children's ministries or helping out with the with the the folks that that landscape and help take care of the property and with the refreshments team. Whatever. I mean, there's different ways to those those are serving ways. But then also we encourage you to be involved and participate in fellowship on a personal level. You have to get to know. Uh, people's lives. Um, in a sense, um, no, you want to know people in the church better and close, more closely, and you want to also get to a point where you're comfortable and, and feel safe that you can make yourself known, okay? That's important, right? And that takes time, I get it, but you got to put yourself in a position for that to happen, and for us, a lot of times, small groups are it. And so if you're not in the life of a small group, in an involvement small group, I encourage you to check those out. Uh, a number of them do take a break in the summer, just to let you know. But 
you can um, another way that you could if you're if you haven't been with us before in the summertime, a way that you can get to know some people is we twice a month we have um, summer Sunday picnics right back here in this little tree grove right here, and uh, people will hang out uh, for an hour or an hour and a half, uh, either bring their lunch with them, pack it, or they'll somebody will stay here and then somebody will make a run to you know, Wendy's or whatever it is over on Rome Hillary Road, bring it back and just hang out. Um, and I've got some idea for some games, by the way. <laughs> not minute to win at games, but, but uh, and it has nothing to do with a straw and goldfish. But, but I've got some idea for some games. I, I, gotta, I, need, I need to talk to uh, people that can make things here that will help me out with that. But I've got, they're simple, simple things to make, but uh, I can't, I can't, you know, sometimes I can't even operate a drill. But um, anyway, so uh, talking about fellowship and ways to get involved in the life of the church, I, I just want to, to challenge you, if you're not sharing in the fellowship of the church, that's a part, vital part of life in a church and being part of God's family, amen? It really is. Uh, the breaking of bread, we just partook of, right? That's, that's a regular thing here. And the prayers, it says uh, they devoted themselves to the prayers, and that's what actually says that in the Greek, the prayers. There may have been formal times during the day when the church gathered together for prayer or where people paused and they prayed. Um, we have a monthly prayer meeting. We have times after the service up here of prayer. All right? And I encourage you, if you haven't been to the monthly time in a while, would you consider taking just that, it's literally an hour, Literally one hour, okay, uh, of prayer that takes place in the fellowship hall once a month. Um, and again, this is this is what it means to, uh, to be members of God's family and to participate in the life of the church, right? And did you see uh, there in verses forty-four to forty-six where it says, um, uh, "Let me get back here." So it says, "And they all who believed were together." Okay, so they're definitely spending time together, right? And had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any have need. And so isn't that awesome? And you see the love of Christ there demonstrated in their shared life together. And it got expressed in a number of ways. But one of the ways was meeting needs. Meeting physical needs, material needs, as well as obviously spiritual needs. But uh, and, and, it, and I see that happening in our church. It's not, you know, it's not perfect. You know, I'm sure there's always room for improvement, but I do see people without anybody asking, sometimes just meeting a need, maybe a financial need. It might be just a physical need for help with something, this or that. Um, you know, even, I've, I mean, I've definitely seen people help each other move around here plenty of times over the years. So there's just, uh, I, I'm encouraged by that. You should be encouraged by that, 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 um, um, you know, the, the group of people here, though not perfect, we, we do try to share life together and meet needs. Meals together. Do you, they had meals together. Um, that's a great thing for you. You know, when was the last time you had somebody over for a meal from the church? Um, I don't care if you know them or not. That's how you get to know people, isn't it? That really is how you get to know people, right? Don't wait for some event or whatever. Just say, hey, um, are you available? Hey, my name is so-and-so. If you don't know them, uh, great. You know, or maybe, uh, maybe if you feel like, oh, it might be better to go out somewhere, that's fine too. But, but just having meals together, that's another way where we share our lives together. 
All right, so uh, I just want to mention this. I, I read something recently that reminded me that if we are members of God's family, that we all need to make sure we, we play a part in the family of God, right? And, and this is what, what I read. I, I'm just going to read it for you. It's just, it's, it's just a few sentences. And this, this person wrote this. I don't even know who it was. It says, this is my church. It is composed of people like me. It will be, my, it will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love and of faith and service. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. And I just thought that was good. Just a good thought, you know, this idea of saying, hey, we're um, in this shared life together that God has called us into the family of God. We're supposed to use our gifts uh, for the benefit of the body and so on. And that's going to, it's going to, uh, it's going to be, it's the difference of watching a ball game and getting in and playing in the ball game, right? And participating in the life of the church. Now, the last thing I just want to mention to you is that last verse in that section I mentioned. That was uh, verse 47, um, Listen, this was part of the life of the church. It says, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so it, it's important that we realize that as members of God's family, we intentionally look to invite more people into the family, okay, into the family. I remember um, Heritage Church years ago, one of their themes that year was room for one more. Room for one more was their theme. And, and, and so just, you know, what, uh, we need to be having that mindset that, um, that we want to constantly be thinking about we want to grow the family of God, not for numbers sake, but for God's glory's sake, because we know one of the reasons we're still around <laughs> is to be a mouthpiece for the gospel of Jesus, right? That's why we're still here. And so... Uh, in closing, let me just read two verses to you. Uh, Acts 1.8 uh, says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And, and just knowing that as you step out and, and um, you, as even Amber was sharing there, it's, it's, it, we, need not just, we need to take these things beyond thoughts and convictions, but to action okay, uh, is to, to uh, realize the Holy Spirit is with you. If you, have, if you know Christ as Savior, when you, when you share your testimony or you share God's gospel of grace, um, that, uh, you know, as you get to know people and, and then get to those aspects of sharing Christ with people, just know the Spirit is with you. But He has commissioned you to do it, Right? us as a church family, right? And then secondly, um, and I want to I say these two things. This is one of the things that we've been teaching in our discipleship groups that we're uh, doing this, this past year is that we say we want people to um, be a witness in word and deed, in word and deed. People need to hear the gospel. They need to have gospel conversations, spiritual conversations, but they also need to uh, see you, um, you know, acting and loving, being loving. 
um, Matthew 5.16, which many of you are familiar with, says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we, people need to see us doing good works in the name of Christ, right? Whether that's serving them directly or serving other people, uh, you know, we, we need to be doing good for God, okay? All right. Well, so be thinking about, I mean, there's a lot more we could say about being a part of God's family, but just know that if you're saved, if you put your faith in Christ, you are in God's family, you've been adopted in, right? And that as members of God's family, right, it's, we said that we are to be devoted to God's word, to prayer, and to shared life together, which means participation uh, within the life of the church and in each other's lives. So um, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and thank you that it's very clear. We can see what the first century church was doing and uh, see their example of, and their devotion. God, help us to be devoted uh, to your word, to prayer, and to a shared life together. Lord, help us to uh, uh, get out of our comfort zone, as has been mentioned several times today already, in order to do that to have a shared life together, fellowship, and also stepping out of our comfort zone to make sure that we're making room and inviting people into the family of God uh, in word and in deed. God, we need your grace to do this. In Christ's name, amen.